Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, January 4th. We are here live. It is time for Destination Health. We've got a big day lined up today, a lot going on. Got a couple guests joining me today. Lauren is here co-hosting with me this morning. And we're also bringing back Kara Collier from NutriSense. And we're going to continue our mini-series on blood glucose and continuous glucose monitors. So we're going to dive right in and get started. We are going to open the phone lines. We will take your calls and answer your questions today. So line them up right now, 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Lauren, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Kevin. I hope you had a really nice holiday. I know I enjoyed a, some good time with family and friends. Good. It was great. Good. I, I did too. I, I really took it easy. I mean, that's uh, that's probably the most time I've taken off in, in quite a while. Two long weekends and felt good to recharge and just take a break and get away from things. And now I'm ready to get back and tear into projects again. Great. Good to hear. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in. Let's bring Kara back on with us. Kara, good morning. Welcome back and Happy New Year. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. So uh, we're going to jump right in here because I know the last time we had you on, well, every time we have you on, the, the time goes so fast. I want to make sure we cover some things today. I want to go back and kind of recap the last show, you know, it was kind of more big picture. We jumped around a little bit, covered a lot of different topics back and forth. I want to kind of go back and kind of recap that a little bit. And then I want to do something and, and we do this on a lot of different topics. We call it back to the basics. And and we just go back and start from the very beginning. Assume that the listeners know nothing about what we're talking about, really go back and, you know, clarify terms and um, give people something they can, you know, put to use. So one of the things we talked about on the last show, and I want to go back and talk about it again, is this idea of metabolic health. It's fairly new, the way we talk about this. It seems to me like, you know, the whole time I was growing up, the, the medical community just kept becoming more and more specialized. Like we treated everything separately. If you had a problem with your kidney numbers, you dealt with the nephrologist. And, you know, if you had cardiac issues, you, you know, dealt with the cardiologist. And we we really treated things separately and as though everything was somehow different and lately we're we're kind of coming back around to this idea that it's it's metabolic and and we use that term and we talked about metabolic syndrome Carrie, you went over the the five criteria that we're looking at for metabolic syndrome and really it covered things like obesity and heart disease and cholesterol numbers and um, this idea of we could say that if you have these symptoms or these criteria, you are, you know, metabolically unhealthy. And the numbers that have come out recently that, 
you know, only 12% of the population is metabolically healthy, and that may be optimistic. But there, there recently, and, and I wanted to throw a couple more things in here, you know, there, there seem to be these other areas of health other than our metabolism that we looked at. Like somehow we've always kind of held cancer out as something else. And yet there's lots of evidence out there to show that cancer really is a metabolic disease as well. And then since we had you on the last time, I read another book. I don't know if you've seen this or not, um, Brain Energy. Been a lot of talk about it. And, you know, we, we talk about mental health and we have different doctors and we have specific drugs and we kind of treat mental health differently. And now this book comes out and says, hold on, there's nothing different about the brain than any other organ in the body. It, it is controlled by our metabolism and by individual cells and that all these brain conditions or these mental health issues are really metabolic as well. Kara, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's a lot, lot to unpack there, but I'm 100% on the same page with everything you just mentioned. You know, specifically starting with kind of how we've always viewed things, or at least in recent times have viewed things from a medical perspective, really in these siloed specialty areas. But that's not actually how the body works or how um, diseases become present or how, you know, healthy functioning works. It doesn't work in these like segmented areas. So when we try to silo it and just treat it in these segmented areas, then we're not affecting the bigger picture or usually kind of the root cause. So looking at the body as more of a whole processing system that interacts with everything is a much better way to approach health in general. And as you're mentioning, this includes a lot of common chronic health conditions that we might think are just cardiovascular or um, kidney or diabetes, which might be like, you know, the pancreas. They're all related, but it is also mental health and brain health and cancer, as you're mentioning. I haven't read or heard of the Brain Energy book, but I definitely jotted it down to check it out. But we have done a lot of research and support with um, our customers and our patients who are have a family history of neuro uh, neurological disorders, Alzheimer's specifically usually being the most common one. Um, some people have a genetic predisposition with the APOE4 um, genetic marker, and they're really, really focused on good mental health, brain health, and neurological disorders. And, you know, they're coming to us to help support their metabolic health because there is such a close tie and connection there. So not just with brain functioning in the instance of dementia or neurological disorders, but also mood and energy, as you're mentioning. There's a huge connection between stress and mental health and how that then um, presents and how it affects our overall health, including kind of inflammation, which can trigger some of this metabolic dysfunction as well. A book I just finished, um, but I would also throw out there as being very interesting, is called The Myth of Normal. And it's a lot about how kind of the mental health side of things and um, maybe some unprocessed trauma that people might have can present as physical health conditions. So they're all really related. And I do see this trend 
it's a small trend, but it's growing of more practitioners and professionals in the space looking at this more holistic, interconnected lens of health, which is really the direction we have to move. Yeah, you know, I want to... I love that you brought that up. Oh, go ahead, Lauren. Sorry, here, I love that you brought up um, dementia because lately it's been referred to quite a bit as type 3 diabetes. So it's interesting that you are kind of clued into that and you're working with, um, you know, people who are dealing with that because it's, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting that they are considering it that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's been, if you dig in the research, you realize and you start to see that, you know, it's been not necessarily called type three diabetes for that long, but there's this documented connection between specifically glucose control um, and diabetes, and then Alzheimer's and dementia. It's been documented and known for quite a while. I think, you know, we might have touched on this in a previous show as well, that sometimes things become popular or start to become more policy or implemented in the healthcare system decades after there's already been research done that's kind of showing these things. So unfortunately, sometimes what actually gets talked about or practiced um, is kind of behind, but if you start to look into the research with Alzheimer's prevention and dementia prevention, uh, this, this link and these um, mechanisms have been documented for, for quite a while. So it's, it's certainly very strong evidence at this point that controlling our metabolic health and being really um, healthy from a glucose metabolism standpoint, and we can kind of you know dig into the basics of that, is really protective for brain health and dementia prevention. Mm. So if we, we look at these areas that I, I've mentioned, you know, that we almost kind of hold outside of metabolic health, we're talking about, you know, the, the brain now, somehow we thought it was different and turns out it's really not, kind of functions like most of the other organs in the body. We talked a little bit about you know, cancer, we've always kind of thought that that was different. It was more genetic or, you know, maybe it was exposure to chemicals or, you know, carcinogens. And, and now that we, we, again, we see that that is really uh, metabolic. The other one that I find interesting, our immune system. You know, it seems like today we have two problems with the immune system. It's either weak and somebody's just getting sick constantly pretty hard to be healthy if you're sick all the time. Um, or we have overactive immune systems and all these autoimmune conditions. And in the last couple of years between COVID and the COVID vaccine, now we seem to have all kinds of new issues around the immune system. But Lauren, if you look back when we work with people, you know, our, our basic approach is from the information we gather in the NutriQ, we look and, you know, we try to tackle their biggest issue. It's almost always blood sugar regulation, number one, and we almost always have to deal with um, digestion as well. But I, I keep looking at these other areas that even though we're not addressing them, we haven't done anything with, the, you know, a particular client to address the immune system directly by the time we get the metabolism fixed, doesn't it seem like a lot of these other issues just resolve themselves? Like people's immune systems become more balanced and 
um, strong and balanced, even though we didn't really do anything to address it. We just addressed the metabolism. Yes, and that's why we're so adamant about addressing those foundations first is because you see so much, you know, improve when you're just focusing on those things. Kara, do you see that quite a bit? When, when you're working with clients that, you know, because with what you do being, you know, the CGM data really is metabolism you're focused on. And yet, even though we don't address it, we always see these improvements in all these other areas. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, we built that as the core data source for our company. You know, the quick recap of my story, I think I've mentioned it in past shows, but I used to work in the hospital with really sick patients. And so my goal with NutriSense was to kind of address that 80-20 rule, like what what you're talking about with back to basics. What can we focus on and improve with people that will make the biggest impact? And that's where eventually I found the road to metabolic health and specifically glucose and CGM monitoring. Because if you can get that in a really good area, it has such a big ripple effect on the rest of the body and all of these different chronic conditions and symptoms and outcomes. So that's why it's one of the core things that we built the company around because we really believe that um, it's not kind of this niche little area that's going to fix this one specific condition, but it's going to have that big ripple effect on your overall health. You know, one of the analogies here, I, I work in the financial planning field And, you know, there's all kinds of crazy high-end strategies with stocks and investments and retirement accounts and taxes, and you can really get into the weeds. And people always want to know the latest, greatest, get-rich-quick, you know, cryptocurrency or whatever. And I, I, I have to stop people and say, hold on, we haven't addressed the fact that you still spend more money than you make and you want to know about, you know, stock swaps and and margin calls and all all this crazy high-end technical kind of stuff. And yet you don't have much money to invest. Maybe we should go back to the basics and figure out, you know, how to make sure you've got enough money to invest before we get into these, you know, things you're all excited about. And and we see the same thing with food. Everybody wants the latest super food, like, you know, because they put acai berries in their smoothie, they're going to become healthy all of a sudden. And yet we just keep doing that. We keep chasing these, you know, get healthy quick ideas and they never work. And if we just go back to this one marker, this one marker of blood sugar control, it's so important. And if we focus time here, we would have such a much bigger impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, I can't agree more working with real patients. I'm sure we've both experienced the fact that everybody wants a quick fix, even if it's outside of health. I love the example of the financial planning because, because it's easier, you know, it's easier to ask for what's, what supplement should I be taking? What superfood should I add to my breakfast? And then we hope that that's going to kind of cure everything but unfortunately it doesn't work that way i think as humans we're drawn to that because we like doing the minimal energy route so you know whatever is easiest is what humans are kind of have a proclivity towards and so 
you know, we have to fight that actively because that's part of our, our DNA is to kind of choose this path of least resistance. But if it sounds like a quick fix, especially in health, then it, it probably just is that, you know, it's not actually going to give you the outcomes you want. So that's where we do a lot of work as well with helping people if they have a lot of, you know, progress to make and those basics haven't been mastered yet, it's first really making sure that you're actually motivated with the right outcome. Like, are are you really motivated to make behavior change? Are you motivated for those real outcomes you're looking for and kind of having that mindset shift that it is going to take some work and some consistent habits over time. You can't do something either for a month and then see benefits and then stop doing it and hope that, you know, everything's okay. So you have to really care about the actual health outcomes that you're looking for, which I think a lot of people do want at the end of the day, but you have to make sure that they understand that's what we're working towards so that it is motivating when you have to be kind of consistent over time and not just that kind of quick fix approach. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's kind of jump into our, our back to the basics. I know our listeners have heard me explain, you know, kind of energy metabolism and our energy sources for the body. Kara, I'd love to have you explain to our listeners and, and I mean, really basic here. How does our body fuel itself and, and, you know, explain what we're talking about when we talk about energy metabolism? Yeah, I think an easy way to kind of think about metabolic health is thinking of it as sort of our body's cellular engine. So just like there is an engine in a car, you know, that helps propel it, you know, without that engine, nothing's really going to work, but it's connected to everything. And so that's the same with metabolism um, in our system. It's this cellular engine that's composed of many different organs. So these are kind of specifically throughout the body. And then there's hormones that communicate with each of these organs. And then there's enzymes that all work together to digest the food that we're eating, absorb those nutrients, transport energy around, give us the energy we need to just do day-to-day activity, breathing, growing hair cells, growing new skin cells, but also exercising, thinking, you know, doing more physical activity, and then also excreting waste and excreting different nutrients. And so this engine and this system, so how that system works together and talks to each other and interconnects, determines how well then we are going to function. Because in order to have a balanced and stable flow of energy and for all of our different organs to be working properly, again, that core system and how it's connected needs to be functioning in tip-top shape. So essentially, you know, I think that's kind of the easiest way to think about it. And then metabolic health, so the health of your system is really what we're talking about there, is a spectrum, is also something to keep in mind. Um, It's not black and white, just like no really health status is. It's not either I'm metabolically healthy or I have, you know, type 2 diabetes or, you know, a chronic health condition. It's a spectrum um, all where people can fall all the way across the spectrum where we have maybe metabolically healthy on one end, metabolically unhealthy on the other end, but we can be kind of anywhere on that continuum. 
And then the goal is to constantly kind of push ourselves closer and closer to that metabolically healthy end of the spectrum. And that's where glucose can kind of play a role in helping us figure out where we are on the spectrum and then how to improve it. So we're thinking about, again, an energy system. Glucose is that primary fuel that runs through the metabolic engine, so to speak. And this is where I kind of think of it like a hybrid car because glucose isn't the only energy system we have, but it is the body's preferred energy system. And there are some organs and some you know parts of the body that can only use glucose as energy. So even if you're not eating carbohydrates that get broken down into glucose, we always have glucose in our system because our body uses glucose as that primary energy source. Um, and so it's kind of like the fuel gauge for the metabolic engine. And by monitoring how the glucose fluctuates in response to different meals, in response to fasted states, you know, in our overall day to day, we can get a good signal of how that engine is running and how that system looks. Yeah, I love that explanation. I, I want to get your take on, you know, kind of where we've been in the last decade with health. I go back and in the beginning, we talked a lot about, you know, paleo, just eating real food that doesn't come from a factory, isn't processed and boxed and packaged and, you know, all kinds of chemicals added. And that seemed, you know, obviously that makes sense. I mean, that's how we evolved. That's how the human body evolved. It makes sense to do that, except we found we didn't always get results. You know, some people we got really good results with other people. We got a little bit. Some people we got almost nothing. We started moving towards, you know, we did some grain free things and got better results. And then we, you know, started down the keto path and got even better results. And, you know, the first time I remember hearing somebody talk about carnivore, I thought, okay, we've just gone too far now. Except I don't think so, because we get really good results with what would have seemed like really extreme diets, and I don't think they're extreme at all anymore, but it, it seems to me as though the pattern has been the more foods we take away, the healthier we become. And we're down now to some people seem to respond best to almost purely animal products. And I, you know, my take on this, and, and I've kind of experienced it myself, um, there was a time where when I first started this, the lower carbohydrate I ate, the better results I got. And then I got to a point where I didn't have to do that anymore. You know, there were times when I'd go back and I'd add more carbohydrates mm -hmm. in and I'd monitor things. And almost always my results got worse. And so I'd go back, you know, low carb. I've said that if I have to perform, if I'm going to speak somewhere, I'll, I'll go really low carb or, you know, really strict carnivore for a couple of days because I always feel better. You know, it, it, it seems to me like, the human body would be able to handle almost any combination of real food. You know, there were societies that did eat pretty high, you know, carbohydrate diets and they were healthy. And there were societies that ate almost no carbohydrates and they were healthy. So we keep arguing this carbohydrate angle, but is it just possible that we have damaged our metabolism so much that we do need more extremes. And maybe once somebody is that metab metabolically damaged, that we do have to use an intervention like that. Does that make sense? 
Yep. Yeah. You exactly, you exactly articulated what I was going to say is that these, I would call these, you know, rather extreme diets, but we are also in a state of extreme unhealthiness. And I think that is the key point to consider. Um, there is a component of, again, if we're talking just back to basics, like if you have been eating, snacking and grazing all day, every day, and mostly eating fast food or packaged foods for the past 20 years, going back to the basics is going to make a really big difference. Um, and some of those basics is, you know, minimally processed food, cook at home as much as possible, or kind of, you know, minimally prepared or packaged foods. Um, really focus on kind of nutrient density, focus on protein. There are some really good basics that I think everyone benefits from. Minimize sugar, you know, uh, there's a lot of different items that we can throw in there that aren't specific to a type of diet, so to speak. You know, they don't fall under a, this is paleo or this is keto or this is carnivore, but it's, it's really what I call like fundamental, what everybody should be doing, no matter what your health status is. And then if we really have a damaged system, which again, takes decades to develop. So over decades, your metabolic system has kind of broken down. And then that crosstalk between organs is all, you know, congested basically. So you can think of it, if we're thinking about it, roads on a highway system, it's like having construction and potholes. And so your hormones can't speak as well to the other organs and then everything is functioning not properly. It takes more than the basics to get that system back under control. And we have seen people get it back under control. So that's the other thing is it's certainly possible. I've seen it over and over to get back to a really optimal state of health, but it usually requires something a little bit more extreme. And typically what we see, it kind of depends on what are the primary things going on. But if somebody has a very clear diagnosis of a, a chronic condition that's related to metabolic syndrome, which as we've mentioned, is a lot of things. So type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, you know, kidney disease, a lot of times we have to restrict carbohydrates, you know, extremely low to where we're producing ketones, really minimal carbohydrate intake, really focusing on only, you know, whole foods, still incorporating the basics. And then after a while of kind of letting the system rest and repair, sometimes we can incorporate back more carbohydrates, more flexibility, but still under the parameters of those basics being addressed. Um, similarly, with a lot of autoimmune conditions, a lot of GI conditions and a lot of um, really inflammatory conditions, that's when we've often seen that going carnivore helps those people a lot. And I get asked a lot on what my opinion on a carnivore diet is. <laughs> so my opinion is that I, you know, seeing is believing. I'm sure that you guys sound like similar where I've seen so many people experience healing for the first time ever with the carnivore diet. So there is absolutely no denying that it can be extremely helpful for some people. And that's where, you know, these are people who have done the basics. They have done keto, they have done paleo, and they didn't get relief from their GI symptoms or from their, you know, IBS, IBD, from their Crohn's. 
And then carnivore diet is the only thing that helps them. But I would say 90% of the time when I've seen benefit from a carnivore diet, we can usually reintroduce non-carnivore foods over time once that healing has occurred for long enough. There are some Mm -hmm. people I've worked with that really have not been able to reincorporate um, other, you know, like plant foods over time. And they just enjoy carnivore. They've stayed on carnivore. We've made sure it's nutrient dense and diverse and they're, they're thriving. But I think for most people, the goal would be to reincorporate some other foods so that there isn't so much restriction Um, because restriction comes usually some social isolation. Um, Typically not everyone in your social circle is also eating carnivore. Um, Sometimes it can cause, you know, unhealthy relationship with food or, you know, difficulty staying on track. Uh, So there are some cons to a really restrictive or extreme diet. But when people are having extreme health symptoms, those, those things are so minimal in comparison to the relief that they feel. You know, it's interesting. You just got me thinking about something there. Um, we work primarily with truck drivers, so we have lots of unique situations we talk about. It's almost always a negative. You know, we're always trying to solve some sort of a problem based on that lifestyle. But the one thing that works well for us is it's interesting. In the very beginning, people would say when we would bring things up, like you have to eat more meat or you have to eat more nutrient dense meat. We need to look at the quality of your food and we need to avoid seed oils. And the initial response was, well, that's going to be impossible on the road. And we said, no, it's not. Here's how you do it. And over the years, we've developed, you know, better and better ways. It now, and it's been this way for quite some time, most of the time, and Lauren, you can jump in here. um, Most of the time now we hear from drivers that this is easy when they're on the road. It's when they go home, they face all the issues. And it's, Kara, it's because of what you were talking about. These are kind of extreme ways of eating. Mm -hmm. And when they're alone on the road and we teach them how to do it, it's really easy. It's when they go home and their spouse looks at them and says, what do you mean you're only eating, you know, 32 ounces of ribeye for dinner? That's insane. So it's interesting that this almost becomes an advantage for us. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. The social component is really difficult because it does seem to isolate people and they're afraid to go to social events because, you know, they're, they can't partake and things like of that nature. So there's a lot that, that's involved here. Yeah, it's definitely something to, to consider. You know, we, we can't just look at food through the lens of, you know, health and nutrients. There's also this social component. Like we are social creatures and food and mealtime is part of kind of how we interact and connect with one another. Um, so talking through those concerns and those road bumps is, is an important component of figuring out a plan that works for someone. And often, you know, maybe it's educating their family about how, why this is helping them. Um, and maybe that means if we're doing carnivore that it's steak for everyone, but extra steak for the person doing carnivore and no sides and kind of explaining that. I think it becomes much, much more challenging when it's social eating events that are outside of the home. That's even another layer of going out to eat at a restaurant 
um, is more difficult to kind of maneuver than the social setting at home where maybe you have a little bit more control or you know the people better if it's your direct family. Um, but it, it's something to consider, which is why an extreme diet for most people is not the end goal. Usually we want to get to a place of healing um, and metabolic like fixing the actual metabolic system, that there is more room for a little bit of flexibility. And maybe that means in the meals that you eat by yourself, which is maybe, you know, breakfast and lunch during the week, you stick more to the kind of your carnivore because you feel good doing that. But then you have a little bit more flexibility in these other meal times. And, And that can be the goal for a lot of people that I think we can work towards. That's a good Agreed. way of, of looking at it, no doubt. Let, let's um, let's talk somewhat about blood sugar numbers themselves and the continuous glucose monitor and why this is so powerful. One of the things I want to kind of get your opinion on, when I very first started down the health road, you know, I started monitoring blood sugar right away, just finger sticks. And before I really made any major changes to the diet, And it was fairly common to sometimes, you know, see a fasting number in the 60s. You know, if I ate a a typical meal back then, you know, you might see a 160 even. I I didn't monitor all that long before I really started to radically change my diet. I almost wish I would have had more. You know, it'd be interesting to go back and wear a continuous glucose monitor the way I used to eat and see what was really happening but I had some data yeah. and then pretty quickly this this pattern set up and, you know, we've referred to it over time as the dawn effect. You know, I started seeing instead of 60s or 70s fasting, I was seeing, you know, 90s to 110, you know, even up to 120 sometimes fasting. But then I wasn't seeing anything high. I wasn't seeing those 160s. In fact, if I started the day at 120, when I started eating, it would actually come down. So what I really have now and I've had for years is this really tight range where it's almost, you know, 90 plus percent of the time it's between 90 and 110. But I almost never see 60s or 70s anymore. Is that fairly common? It is fairly common, especially if you're following a lower carbohydrate diet. So Um, I'll maybe back up and kind of explain some of the high level glucose trends one might look for, and then kind of dig into specifically why you might have seen that trend. Does that sound good? Yeah, I love that. Go ahead. Okay, great. And I guess just to preface as well, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with a CGM, so a continuous glucose monitor or CGM is basically a small device that you can put on the back of your arm that measures your glucose continuously. So Um, As Kevin mentioned, he previously was using a finger prick monitor or glucometer um, that you can buy over the counters. Many of you have probably used one and that requires pricking your finger, you know, getting that drop of blood and seeing in that moment, what is your glucose level, which is very helpful if anyone has never done it or has no idea what their glucose levels are. That's a great place to start because it's cheap. You know, you can, you can get one at CVS, you can order it on Amazon Um, But the problem with that is you're only getting that insight of the glucose in that moment, which is only telling you, you know, a photo snapshot, 
versus the CGM gives you a movie. So it's giving you the whole trend of how your glucose is fluctuating. Maybe it was 90 right now, but 20 minutes later it was 140 and then it dropped to 70. You know, sometimes our glucose can fluctuate quite a bit. So being able to see that movie picture without having to prick your finger and without having to draw blood really just provides a ton more information and helps you kind of dial in what you need to be working on and where maybe those trouble areas are. Um, and so then when it comes to actually looking at the glucose values, we also can get more trends and insights and different metrics to monitor by having that continuous data. So there's the common metric of fasting glucose that likely many of you are familiar with. That means being at least without food for about eight hours and Traditional metrics are going to say to aim to be under 100, but we really recommend that most of the time you're aiming between 70 to 90. Um, and this is really, you know, if you've been fully fasted, but as you mentioned, below 70 isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes people have fasting glucose in the 60s. If they're not having any symptoms of hypoglycemia, that's totally okay. So those symptoms might be like shakiness, dizziness, sweating. The second metric that we're going to pay attention to is your average glucose. And so this is good for taking kind of a larger snapshot view of what your glucose is doing. So in our app, you can get your average glucose for the past day, for a week time span, you know, month time span. You can look at it kind of for whatever range, but it helps you see how was my glucose overall today or during this time frame. Um, and we really aim for an average glucose of 105 or less. And again, normal per the American Diabetes Association is usually saying to stay under 117. But we have, you know, there's lots of evidence out there that we actually want to aim for a little bit of a lower value. So under 105 on average. And the third major thing to look at when it comes to kind of that big picture view of your glucose data is what is called glycemic variability. And this is something you can only monitor if you have the continuous data. And it's sort of what you mentioned, where glycemic variability is really those swings in your glucose. It's basically, you know, how much does your glucose deviate from that average? So maybe you're averaging right at 100, which is great. That would be in our ideal range but you're having swings up to 160, maybe even 200, 250, or, and then you're dropping down to 60, 70, and kind of going up and down all day. And what we know is that high glycemic variability, so lots of swings up and down, actually creates more oxidative stress and damage to our metabolic system than even sustained high glucose levels. So, there are research studies showing that maybe somebody's average glucose is 140, which would be really high, but it's stable. And they actually have better health outcomes than somebody who has a lower average of big swings. Obviously, the really ideal here is a low average and low swings, which is what is happening in your data. But we want to avoid those big ups and downs, big jumps. That doesn't mean that your glucose has to be a completely flat line. Um, that is one common misconception is that people want it to not move at all. So there is a point of diminishing returns. And we do have like an R app that will tell you if your glycemic variability is good, if it's, you know, it eh, needs a little work or if it needs a lot of work. So we give kind of signals um, for that information. But 
we want it to be generally pretty stable. And that's kind of what we're looking for. It's good for health outcomes, but it's also good for energy levels, mood. It's just that stable energy system. And a lot of times you see the swings from meals. So that's kind of the the last metric I'll, I'll touch on is really that peak glucose value and then what happens to your glucose when you eat a meal. Um, so there's lots to look at at mealtime, but in kind of traditional healthcare setting or, you know, traditional metabolic markers, we aren't usually looking at that peak glucose value because with, you know, the snapshots in time, we're never capturing the peak value. So again, you really can only see how high is my glucose going if you're getting that continuous data. And as a maximum threshold, we really want to keep it below 140. Um, and if you're really not consuming many carbohydrates, we don't expect it to expect to see it go above 120. And this is all in milligrams per deciliter. And so that's just another another metric to kind of pay attention to. Excellent. I, I love that explanation. And, you know, one of the things I'd, I'd love to hear from you now, I think we've got to cover, you know, the CGM and I want to make the recommendation again. I know I did at the end of the last show. I think everybody should wear one of these, whether you think you're completely healthy, whether you know you are, you're eating right and everything's great. I, I was just shocked by how much I learned and I still go back occasionally. I have sensors. I'll probably do it again here soon. Uh, every time I test anything around health, um, I go back and put a monitor on to see how other interventions that I'm trying or testing, how is that affecting blood sugar? And the interesting thing is almost everything affects blood sugar. Uh, you know, food, obviously a big <laughs> one, but our stress levels, our exercise levels, sleep, all kinds of things. W what are what are some of the more surprising things you've learned and, and what are some of the things that surprise people around food that come to mind for you? Yeah, with food and, and kind of as you mentioned, mentioned, the basic categories that we always want to address is food, stress, sleep, and physical activity. Um, so those are the core tenets that you want to think about when it comes to managing glucose levels or kind of figuring out why your glucose is doing different things. But when it comes to food, I think one of the biggest surprise, surprises was just how different everyone responds to the same exact food. Um, so there's the concept of glycemic index that, you know, we may have touched on this last time, but um, a lot of people are probably familiar with it. It gives a food a score on a scale of 1 to 100, and that's supposed to predict on average how your glucose will respond to the food. So something like pure sugar has a really high glycemic index, where something like eggs has a really low glycemic index. Um, but what we have seen is that while this might predict the response on average population level, as an individual, you know, a unique individual, people respond really differently. So something like strawberries have a lower glycemic index than watermelon, but an individual might actually respond better to watermelon than strawberries. And while somebody else has a vice versa reaction, so really just the amount of variability we see in kind of even whole food carbohydrate sources on how people respond was something really surprising. Um, we weren't expecting to see it 
deviate so far from kind of a predicted response. Um, so that's always really interesting because you really just don't know until you start to kind of test it and figure it out for yourself of which foods you respond best to. I think the other really surprising thing is just when you don't expect something to secretly have sugar in it, <laughs> then you eat it and you're like, why is my glucose spiking? And then you dig in a little bit more. The example I always give personally is Costco rotisserie chicken has like some dextrose coating on the seasoning. And I was always having like a glucose mm. response to it. And it was a bit, and then I was like, well, got to look at the label and there is dextrose in this. So kind of the secret hidden ingredients are always, uh, you know, an unfortunate surprise to come across. Same with a lot of um, keto packaged foods that have a lot of um, fake fibers. Not everyone really responds to the same to those. So oftentimes people will still have a pretty high glucose response, even if it's a keto cracker or a keto protein bar or, you know, keto everything these days that you'll see packaged. So you do really have to be careful with a lot of those packaged foods, just like, just like normal. Um, a lot of them are unfortunately more marketing than, than real health. Yeah, very good point. You know, I, I also had the opposite happen. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I really stay strict about my diet, I've been all over the place with carbs over the years, sometimes super low carb, other times testing, how high can I go without seeing any negative consequences? Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, I, I stay grain free no matter what. If I eat any kind of a grain whatsoever, I notice it immediately in my health, joint pain, all kinds of weird stuff. So other than white rice, um, I, I really have not touched a grain in eight years, but I missed pasta. So it's like, you know, what can I do with pasta? And I looked at all the alternatives and there's a bunch on the market, cassava flour. And really it's nothing but cassava flour and water. The, the pasta jovial is the brand I usually get. It is crazy high in carbs compared to how I normally eat. I, if I remember right, just two ounces of this pasta is like 56 grams of carbs. That's more than I eat most days. And I thought, God, this seems really high. But you know what? I, I feel pretty metabolically healthy. I'm, I'm gonna play around with this. I was shocked that I got almost no glucose response from eating not two ounces of that. Well, must've been four ounces was 56 grams because, but I think that's like two servings. Um, whatever it was, I, I ate quite a bit and had almost no glucose response at all. I was really shocked by that. Yeah, that's super interesting. And again, I always preface with everyone responds differently, but we do <laughs> on average see people respond really well to cassava flour products or, you know, cassava as the main ingredient. And I think it's because cassava is high in resistant starch. So this is a specific type of starch mm. that really bypasses a lot of digestion. It has properties similar to soluble fiber. Um, so typically, you know, and this is something where you probably have heard that if you eat a green banana, it has more resistant starch than a really ripe banana. Similarly with like, if you cook and then cool different carbohydrates, it builds up that resistant starch and it tends to then lead to a lower glucose response overall, um, and a less like dramatic impact, like 
that spike you see sometimes with other starches is usually blunted uh, when foods are high in resistant starch. So that might be what was going on with that one. Got it. Mm-hmm. One of the um, the other topics that, that seems to be kind of argued back and forth recently in the natural health world, we do see a lot of practitioners moving closer to carnivore, using more carnivore, talking about it more. Um, then we kind of had this debate about uh, fruit and honey. Um, Dr. Saladino started adding a lot of fruit and honey, and a lot of people said, what are you doing? That's crazy. And his take was, well, look, fruit really doesn't have any of the problems that vegetables do because the fruit plant wants the seed spread. So it's, it's and honey kind of the same way. So there's this argument back and forth um, on fruit and honey, both are high in fructose. What are the what are the kind of patterns and trends you see around fructose and blood sugar? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting debate. And again, these are kind of, in my opinion, some of the more like nuanced things that kind of we get in the weeds on. But and I think it depends on your health goal. So if your health goal is that you're having metabolic dysfunction, you know, really erratic glucose responses, then we're going to want to really minimize carbohydrate intake regardless of the source. And that includes fruit and honey and kind of natural fructose. But if your goal for doing carnivore is more to maybe heal your gut or um, kind of heal an autoimmune condition, then sometimes, but you're overall pretty metabolically healthy, Sometimes we can incorporate some of the um, fruit and fructose-based carbohydrates and they don't have those symptoms come back and that helps diversify the diet a little bit. So I have seen it work. Um, I would say it's really more of a kind of a unique situation that's person to person. But overall, fructose in general does function differently in the body than glucose. Um, and fruit is a combination of fructose and glucose. Um, so that's, you know, something to keep in mind as well, where it's, it's not just fructose present. The only thing where it's really mostly just fructose in high quantities is some things like high fructose corn syrup, which is in, you know, almost all of our packaged and processed foods. But fructose as a molecule, um, is metabolized different than glucose. I always kind of describe it as it fructose takes a detour in that metabolic system of roadways and it gets to basically beeline to the liver. And so instead of going through some of the checks and balances that glucose metabolism go through, goes through, fructose kind of gets to be rapidly converted. It passes some of these like little checkpoints that glucose goes through. And so in moderate doses, so a couple pieces of whole fruits, some honey, this is not an issue at all unless you're already metabolically unhealthy and your liver already is not able to process things properly. But in high exposure, such as high fructose corn syrup, sodas, you know, something where you're putting a lot of fructose in the system, juice, so even juicing, a lot of um, whole fruits can really have this issue because you're giving yourself a lot of fructose at once. It basically beelines to the liver, and then that can lead to rapid stimulation of turning that fructose into fats and triglycerides and accumulating in the liver, 
which can cause problems over time. So just at a high level, you know, there's all kinds of debates about fructose. Where I really get concerned is when we're, we're consuming high quantities and, um, and or if there's any sort of metabolic dysfunction present, I really want to minimize both fructose and carbohydrates. But it can play a really good role for somebody who's more metabolically healthy. And, you know, fruit is very nutrient dense and it's usually pretty easy for people to digest if that is, is a major issue that some people are experiencing with vegetables particularly. Excellent. Yeah, that's kind of been our take on it as well. When when somebody's really metabolically unhealthy, we just really have them avoid even, you know, any fruit at all, really minimize the sweeteners, even if it is something healthy like honey or, and then add those back in later on. I, I've said for years, I eat fruit every day, I eat honey every day, not huge amounts, but maybe one piece of fruit, maybe by the end of the day, three tablespoons or teaspoons of honey, maybe, um, so I, I like your take on that. I know we're coming up to the end of the hour here, Lauren. Um, anything you want to jump in on kind of the basics we're covering here? No, I think I think you guys have pretty much touched upon everything. Uh, I think the the main takeaway that I keep hearing is to stay away from the processed foods, even if it's processed as simply as juicing a fruit, because then, you know, like, like you said, it's going basically straight to the liver. You know, all of that, you know, all of that, that sugar is going straight to the liver and it's not, it's not having a chance to be broken down and processed with the rest of the, you know, the pulp and the, some of the skin and some of the really important other parts that would slow the metabolic process down um, and, and things of that nature. So I think that's kind of a, a common theme that I keep hearing being said. Excellent. So yeah, absolutely. Kara, one of the things I'd kind of like to go back to and probably wrap up this segment with is it seems like the more we learn about human health and, and the areas we talked about that we all kind of thought were maybe separate from metabolism, the immune system, um, cancer, those kind of things that that we were talking about, brain health and, and mental health. And we're really finding out now that every aspect of our health comes back to metabolism. And you know what? Now that I think about it, it makes sense because you explained this earlier. When we talk about metabolism, we're talking about our individual cells. And every organ is made up of cells. And for the most part, those cells all kind of work the same. They are the little engines that drive every process in our body, it really does seem to me that there is no part of our health that escapes metabolism, that that our metabolism affects every aspect of our health. And it would seem to me like a continuous glucose monitor may be the single most important medical intervention we could use for people. Yeah, I mean, you're you're definitely speaking my language where this is exactly what we believe and we think is all interconnected and the root foundation of all of the processes that make us human and make us function well is that metabolic engine, that metabolic system. Um, you know, just like we can't survive without food and nourishment, we can't survive without the system that processes that energy and turns it into something useful. 
So if we can really make our metabolic engine in tip-top shape and that system run really well, it has, again, that huge ripple effect where we see an improvement in all aspects of our life. We also see people physically look better, you know. Skin quality can be tied to metabolic health and glucose control, um, perceived age. And so it's not just uh, chronic health conditions, energy level, mood. It also can be aesthetics and how you feel. And then most people, of course, also tend to lose weight as they get healthier. But we try to put the focus less on the number on the scale and more kind of these important health metrics overall. But yeah, I, I strongly believe that if we can monitor how the metabolic system is running with something like a CGM and then improve it, that's going to have the biggest bang for your buck for kind of the general health of our society. Excellent. So let, let's wrap this up today with your program and how people get started, what some of the different options are, because it, it, we could talk about this all day long and it always comes back to this, always comes back to metabolism. Metabolism always comes back to what we're shoving in our pie hole every day. It really does make a difference. The, the good news here, though, is it we can I, I say this all the time. We can make the human body really, really complicated. If we start talking about the Krebs cycle and all these pathways and I, you could just go on forever. But I've also said that no matter how complicated the human body is or how complicated we make it, the owner's manual should only be one page. I mean, there, there's nothing really complicated about this as far as what you need to do to get healthy. So tell us a little bit about, about you know, NutriSense, your programs, how people would get started and what, what some of their options are. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, love the idea of keeping the owner's manual to one page. I think that's great. Um, <laughs> so NutriSense, you can sign up at our website, which is just NutriSense.io. And we offer a few different lengths of packages, depending on kind of what you're interested in. And so all of them are monthly and they come with two CGMs each month since they each CGM lasts 14 days. And then we'll ship those to your door. If you sign up on the website, we take care of all of that for you. So all you have to do is kind of fill out a quick questionnaire on the website. Um, and then it comes with an app and that's where you'll see the data. We have a new in-app health program feature launching in a few weeks. And so that's going to have a lot more guided and interactive content and education, which we're super excited about. Um, and then it also comes with complimentary dietitian support. So you get to chat with a paired dietitian through the app, kind of ask some questions, see what's going on. And we have just a month-to-month -month option. If you just want to maybe do one month or you're not sure how long you want to commit, that's a great place to start if you just kind of want to check it out or if you're generally healthy and just kind of want to um, see where maybe you respond differently or what unique little patterns you have. And then we also have a three-month minimum, six-month minimum, and 12-month minimum commitment. I really recommend at least three months if you have some health improvements to make maybe you know you have some metabolic dysfunction or you have a chronic health condition or you have a lot of weight to lose, you know, it takes some time to really get through um, making some health progress and building some momentum. So I really recommend kind of at least three months if, if you really have um, a good health goal that you want to work towards in this new 2023. You know, I, I agree with that. I like uh -huh. that approach. If, um, 
if people are just getting started on the dieting or they have, you know, significant amounts of weight to lose or they've got metabolic conditions they want to improve, I do recommend the longer term stick with it. Things change as you do this. The longer you do it, your blood sugar responses are going to change over time. You're, I, I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. You have done such an amazing job with your your coaches and your nutritionists. They are wonderful to work with. They meet you where you are. They don't push back against, you know, what, you know, if somebody wants to do carnivore, they're going to work with them on carnivore. I, I was surprised how much I interacted and, and every time I did interact, I learned something. So uh, I would encourage people the same thing. If you are just getting started, this is the most powerful tool you could use. Even if you're where I am, you, you've been doing this for eight years and you're pretty healthy, do it shorter term, but do it anyway. You, you really do learn a lot from this. Um, I believe we also have a discount code. Um it is Let's Truck 25. Yes. Yeah, so you get a $25 off a one-month membership. So if you've never done this, go do it. It's a, I just recommend everybody does this. If you are really concerned about your health and you're just getting started, absolutely go do this. Um, Lauren, anything you want to wrap up with? No, I'm actually very intrigued. I'd like to do it myself. I, I almost asked for it for Christmas, and then I figured it might be a little confusing. It's something that um, I probably want to get myself because I think you – how does it work here? You have to sign up, and, and you kind of take a little quiz, correct? Yeah, you do sign up on the website. You have to fill out some health information um, for us mm -hmm. to be able to ship the devices. But if anyone was wanting to get it, we, we have gift cards on our website, so you could just – buy a gift card for someone, then they could redeem it and sign up for themselves. So um, that's a gifting option if you ever need it. I love yeah. that. I'm definitely going to plan on doing a, using it as a gift as well. Kara, awesome. I'm so glad Great you stuff. you mentioned that gift idea. Sorry, Lauren, I wanted to jump in there. You know, one of the things we struggle a lot with this is many times we're dealing with the drivers out on the road for weeks at a time. He comes home, he's lost 30 pounds. His wife wants to know what the hell happened. And we always struggle with trying to share this with other people. You can't push it on them. You know, you got to kind of let them yeah. come to this on their own. But the, that idea of being able to give a gift card for a CGM for somebody, I love that idea. Yeah, it's a great gift. And, and we have seen so many people... Uh, as couples do it together, where it's usually one person is, it was probably their idea and the other pair of the couple decided to support them. Um, but it's a great thing to do as a couple as well, because then you can kind of be on the journey together, support each other. Um, so it's always good to have kind of that support and accountability with someone else if, if that's an option too. Fantastic. All right. Anything, uh, Kara, anything you can think of we didn't cover that you want to wrap up with? No, um, I think we, we covered a lot of the basics. You know, it's always it's always a pleasure to speak with you two. Um, I love the work you're doing, and it's always really fun to connect. Well, thank you, and we will uh, we will get you back again soon. I know you you've told us you love coming on, and it, it, what we'll probably do next time is um, we'll really set it up as a Q and A. You know, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Lauren's always got things. You bring stuff, but. 
Um, I think the next time, maybe we just set it up as a, as a Q&A. What do you think about that? Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. Fantastic. All right. We will do that. Kara, we're going to let you get on with your day. We know you're busy. We appreciate it as always. And, and one more time, if you give them the website, how do they get started? Yes, it's Nutrisense.io, so N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E dot I-O, and then you'll see the sign-up button on our website. Perfect. Kara, thanks so much, and thanks, we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Take care. All right, Lauren, we, uh, that was a great hour. I, I just, that topic, after eight years, it's still just becomes more and more important all the time. It seems like the more we learn, the more we figure out this really is kind of the core of being healthy. It absolutely is. I mean, every everything keeps coming back to this blood sugar regulation because that is essentially what's driving, you know, metabolic syndrome. So you're you couldn't be more more right. Yeah, now we know it's it's metabolic syndrome. It it has a direct impact on our immune system. It has a direct impact on cancer. Um, now we know it it is the core of mental health issues and mood issues and depression and anxiety. It all just keeps coming back to this issue of our metabolism and getting our metabolism healthy. And I think it's awesome that we have this tool that is fairly inexpensive and simple and yet so powerful. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we do. We've, we've got to get Very yours. Cool. You, you are going to love this. We've, we've got to get, uh, get you on one for at least a month and let you experiment because I think you're going to love it. No doubt. I know I will. I actually, a few family members were asking about if they should, they were, it was really interesting because I, I was surprised that they even knew about continuous glucose monitors. That's not something that everyone thinks about unless you listen to us or, yeah, right. you know, or, or something like that. But um, they were asking about what I thought about either a wearable or a continuous glucose monitor. Like when I say a wearable, I mean something like an aura ring or yeah. a Garmin watch. Yeah. And I said, honestly, if you're even considering a continuous glucose monitor, I would highly recommend it because you're going to get so much. Inf- and, and I don't think you need to do it forever. No, I really don't. All. I think right. just like Kara said, it's three months. You will really know a lot about what's going on and what your body can and cannot handle food wise. And so that was my recommendation was if you're even considering it, that's the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to let people know phone lines are open. We're going to hang. What do you have going on today? Well, let me finish that thought. We're going to hang out here. If you want to call right now, we'll uh, we'll hang out a couple more minutes. If not, we're probably going to wrap this segment up. 855-950-3835 if you want to jump in with us right now. Pick up the phone and join us. Lauren, what do you have going on today? We have a live Facebook Q&A today. And my topic is going to be about New Year's resolutions. And we're just going to talk a little bit about that and how to make sure that they're successful if you are doing one. Um, 
committing to one. And I'll, I also have some questions that came in over the holidays that will answer regarding eczema and other skin issues as well as um, the microbiome. So we will be talking about that today at three o'clock Eastern time. Got it. Okay. That's a Facebook live. So you've got us right now. If you have any questions right now, we're going to hang out here for a little bit. Looks like we've got uh, some calls coming in now, so we'll hang out and answer any questions you've got. And then Lauren will be doing Q&A later on today uh, on Facebook Live as well. Lauren, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about and researching the vaccine and COVID. And I think most people know how I feel about the, the fake vaccine and all the problems it's causing and We've been keeping a list and people still send me these stories over and over and over. Died suddenly is is kind of the, the hashtag now and what everybody's talking about. And, you know, we've been saying really since the vaccine's been out and we started noticing some of these patterns, we've been talking about this the whole time. And we keep saying the mainstream media just ignores it no matter how many stories there are. Um, I think that may have changed this week that, uh, you know, 20 million people watching um, football and watching a 24 year old collapse on the field. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, mm-hmm. I've been watching football my whole life, 50 years. I don't ever remember this. And it, we've been saying that for a couple of years now that something is going mm-hmm. on and it's not right. And it doesn't mean that every time somebody collapses, you know, an athlete collapses on the field, that it was the vaccine. But we've also argued that when it happens, why isn't it investigated and why aren't we informed of what it was? It's like they just want to cover it up. We're we're not saying that every time it happens, it had to be the vaccine. But we're saying, why is this topic being ignored? And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. certainly... Sad, and it's a shame that it happened, but it, it, I think it got a lot of people's attention, and maybe now we will start talking about this more. Yeah, I really hope they, they start looking a lot closer to all these athletes' um, cardiovascular issues. There was another one just this past week that was, I don't know, he, he was really promoting the vaccine, and they just found him, I think, at his home and he had had a heart attack and and didn't make it. And so, yes, I I agree. There's some strange stuff going on. Um, I know also that Dr. Wilson commented on the, the, the the player that you just were referring to, I think he's 24 who collapsed on, on the field. And he did say that there is Whatever they're they're calling, I forgot the, the term that they're using. That there is something involved with um, trauma to the heart mm-hmm. that it could cause um, like an irregular heartbeat and cause that to happen. So I was I was really interested to see him that he brought that up. But I agree in terms of there are so many athletes these days who are at the peak of their performance. And there's no reason why they should have these cardiovascular issues. It doesn't make sense at all. And I agree. I think it's an injustice if they do not look into the cause of all of these cardiovascular issues. 
You know, that that condition you're talking about, and I, I keep forgetting it or I forget how to pronounce it. It's two C words, something. Uh, I've, I've researched that quite a bit, and it's not to say that it couldn't have been that, but there are a couple things that make it look like that's kind of a long shot. One, that condition where an impact to the heart knocks the heart out of rhythm, kind of what is what we're talking about, is really, really rare. Mm -hmm. Most of the cases where it occurs, so we have to start off with the fact that it's really rare. Most of the cases are usually young males, and that could be more because young males tend to play sports more than young females, or they have more so in the past, but they tend to be under the age of 18, and it tends to be primarily mm-hmm. in a uh, sport like baseball, where the ball itself hits the heart. And that's it's such a small heart object that that is a huge impact. That seems to be the most common mm-hmm. case is a young uh, child under 18 in a sport, uh, hockey, a hockey puck, getting hit with a hockey puck, same thing. So football there's hits on every single play. I mean, it's not like this was an unusual circumstance or an unusual hit. It wasn't even all that hard of a hit. So the odds that it was that, not saying it couldn't have been, but that seems to be more of a stretch. There's also something else I heard a doctor say that made a lot of sense, and yet I don't hear anybody else talking about this. So the way this works is is there's a specific time frame when when the heart is in a very specific condition and this time frame is like milliseconds it's a very very short window but if the heart is in that condition and then there's an impact a really hard impact and like i said it's usually from a smaller object then it knocks the heart out of rhythm and you collapse and you could die it it could be you know severe enough that you could die What one doctor Mm -hmm. said that made a lot of sense to me was if you watch it, the hit occurs, both players go down, the the player jumps up to his feet, claps, and then collapses. And a doctor said that's not how it works in that condition. He would have just stayed down. And that actually made sense to me. The way it was explained, you take that hit, the hit knocks your heart out of rhythm immediately. That's what causes the collapse. Oh, interesting. And he actually got back up and then collapsed. So the fact that it's really rare usually doesn't happen in adults, usually happens in a sport like baseball or hockey. Um, And this idea that he collapsed and then got back up, uh, what I really hope for is that they don't just try to, you know, push this under the rug and say, well, it was some unknown condition that we, you know, he didn't know he had. The numbers, and the other thing that came out of this, I finally found some good numbers. I've been looking at this kind of stuff for a long time. You can go back to, like, if I remember right, from 1968 till like 2018 or 2019, the average number of of um, sports 
figures collapsing on the field, whether it's high school or college or professional or whatever it might be, the average number of people collapsing from some cardiac event was 29 a year. So mm-hmm. in 30 years, you know, you'd be, let's call it 30 a year, you'd be looking at 900 of these events in like the last 30 years. Now, you know, we were saying, look, this never happens. When do you ever see this? And and obviously we don't see it. These are numbers from all over the world. So it was good to see, okay, this does happen. It happens about 29 or 30 times a year. Well, all of a sudden, we just had a year where we had over 1,500 cases of this. I know. 69% fatal. Yeah. Yeah. So we do have to talk about this and we have to find out each and every case what happened. And from what I understand in an autopsy, there is evidence of damage that would tell us that is what occurred. Now we still have to look at, did the damage occur because of something the vaccine or COVID itself caused? And, and any of these things are possible. It just seems like they, they don't want to know what the truth is. Mm-hmm. They just don't want it to come out. Yeah, that's what I'm They don't wondering. want it to be known. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's, um, let's grab some calls. Let's go to Kansas. Bob, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Oh, I, uh, I, ca- I called today because I decided that I wasn't going to, you know, I've talked to you about, you know, I kind of quit drinking just organically, you know, and not without any effort. It was just something that I just started doing. And I decided, I was like, I'm not going to drink any during the holidays. And, you know, my family and everybody is, we're in our drinkers and stuff. And I have to say it was, I really had to uh, put a lot of effort not to do it. And, you know, you were talking earlier about how, you know, I, I mean, I heard everybody, Oh, the holidays are great. For me, it was absolutely just brutal and did not enjoy it. Did not everybody annoyed me. You know, when it's everybody else, it's usually you. It's the problem. Right. And, you know, I did good on my diet and I did good on not drinking. And I, I was not a happy person. I was not, is it just because it was too much at once or what do you think? Yeah, it, this is an interesting topic. And, and, you know, I'll give you my experience. Cause I've said the same thing. I, 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 I have really, really, cut way back on drinking. I may, I, I may go three or four months and not drink anything, sometimes even longer. Um, but I've said I don't consider myself a non-drinker. And I took more time off over the last two weeks over the holidays than I have in a long time. And I just decided I wasn't going to work on anything. I wasn't going to work on work projects. I really wasn't going to do a lot around the house. There's always something that I could have done. You know, I'm not going to go to a lot of parties or I'm really just going to rest. I'm going to read, you know, I'm just going to do as little as possible. Well, 
part of what comes along with that for me, and I can't believe how fast it happened, I got bored. I mean, within a couple of days, I was like, I, I should do something. And then I thought, no, I committed to just not doing anything. I'm going to take it easy. Well, I, I, I and then I got two bottles of champagne for Christmas gifts. So I drank more over these last two weeks during the holidays than I have in, boy, a long time. And I did not feel good. I, I don't know why I kept doing it, but I did. I kept doing it. And I just don't feel good. So now I'm just, I'm not going to drink, you know, again, not going to call myself a non-drinker, but I'm going to take quite a bit of time off. It just does not add up to any kind of of health whatsoever. The, The impacts of drinking alcohol, and it seems like the healthier I get, the worse the impacts are. Yeah, that's what, that's the same with me. I mean, the more... I mean, my body is just, a, is just does not like it anymore. Right. And that's what made it so clear to me that I should stop. And I, but this, I mean, I went to a Christmas party, you know, people were drinking there, having a good time laughing and, and I'm sitting here and I, there's zero support for this, for me right. doing this, that, you know, I can't ask anybody to say, Hey, why don't you support me? I don't go to AA meetings. I don't do anything like that. And I, I really don't care anybody knows about this, right. but it's just something I decided to do kind of organically. And I never had to like force myself to do it. But over this holiday, I really had to force myself not to do it. Cause it was kind of a goal of mine, just not yeah. to do it. Yeah. And, but I ended up becoming very annoyed with everybody around me. And I find myself, I, holidays are over and I still have this level of, of annoyance with people I work with, my family. And I, I don't know, was that a bad decision or should I just, what should I, you know, I don't know. I may just keep this up and yeah, maybe it'll go away, you know. After. I'm sure the feeling's going to go away. Um, there is no right or wrong answer to this. The next time this occurs, maybe try the opposite. Maybe try having a little bit. Or not. Like I said, there, there's there's no right or wrong answer to this. But uh, because I, I did the opposite, I kind of gave in and said, OK, you know, I'm just going to take this two weeks and it's kind of like vacation. So I'm going to have a glass of wine if I want to. And, and I look back over it, it. It's just not worth it. So so what continues to happen for me is I, I just drink less and less all the time. And I'll go back and do something like this once in a while. And then it reminds me how bad I feel. So I, I'll go a lot longer without drinking. Uh, I, I could see if I would have been around a lot of people that were drinking, how it probably would have been annoying. You know, not drinking. It, it's just, it, it's hard to relate to people when they're drinking and you're not. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. You talk about the effects of alcohol, but it, it becomes like this sharpened pin that is poking you you know when you do drink almost you know the pain or the just because i don't ever remember having problems like the next day with alcohol and and it your body becomes so tolerant to it when you get away from it for a while that pin seems to poke right in the right spot at least on me and it reminds me don't do that don't do that don't do that yeah no i appreciate it I yeah. just uh, had this experience over this holiday thing, and I thought, man, I was so excited. I mean, I'm talking from Thanksgiving through Thanksgiving all the way to Christmas. 
New Year's, the whole thing. And I was like excited. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I've been taking my cold showers. I've been (laughs) taking all these things. And I, I didn't gain a pound over the holiday. I ate great though. I ate ribeyes and, you know, did a filet, did a whole filet, ate tons of meat, did great. But I have this sense of annoyance. Maybe it's like the keto flu, this little thing you got to get past and then it'll go away. What do you, you know, just got to talk it out, I guess. Yeah, I think so. All right. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Wisconsin. Tim, welcome to the program. Kevin, how are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? So, uh, I caught the piece when you were talking about the football player. So, I think, as you know, I was a medic firefighter in a very, very large city. Um, performed CPR hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Pumped gallons and gallons of drugs into people. Uh, so, here's my take. So, it is true, uh, you know, if the timing is right, you get hit in the chest. There's uh, really a small electrical impulse that that creates, but the timing has to be exact to put a person into a you know a lethal arrhythmia. Uh, you probably would have a better chance at winning uh, at winning the lottery than that ever happened. Uh, but it does happen, and it can happen. But if you go back and you look at what happened to him, he gets up. Uh, and then passes out, um, again, you know, you can have lethal rhythms and still have some cardiac output. If you lose all cardiac output, the lights go out like right now. Uh, that's how that works. There's no cardiac output. You're unconscious right now. So obviously he was profusing some at some point, um, but there's, you know, again, until we find out exactly what happened, too many inconsistencies. You know, they said, oh, they performed CPR to get the rhythm back. Uh, I've done CPR, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. I, that's never occurred for me. That's never happened for me. Uh, usually got a cardio shock um, to get them back. Uh, they said they never did that. Uh, in someone that would have a situation where they got hit in the chest, uh, and cause that lethal rhythm, uh, cardio shock brings them right back, and they're usually pretty good. There's usually no long-term effect. So the fact that they have him sedated in a coma, um, it just there's just things that don't make any sense to what they're saying. And you know, and the the weird thing is, there's been no. You know, no doctors have come out to give any you know sort of uh, you know. Uh, you know, tell us what's happening or it's just been very, very, very quiet and it just leads you to suspicion. Well, the, the numbers, look, I will clearly admit maybe that's all this was. Maybe this time it was a case of the impact was the timing was right and it did happen. I, I'm not saying it didn't, but there's so many cases and, and it took, you know, it happening on national TV during a, you know, a major sporting event for the mainstream media to even start talking about it. And when I get up today and I look at the news coverage, it's almost disappeared already. Yeah, that's, and that's the scary part. And uh, like I said, 
usually someone gets hit like that, it's a puts you into a lethal rhythm and you typically you you know, you lose consciousness like right now. You know, right. if you're not if you're not circulating blood, it's instantaneous. And that doesn't mean that he was not put into another rhythm, but just the sequence of events. They said they did CPR. They didn't cardioverted him. I've never had just doing CPR ever bring anybody back. Right. Never. Right. I mean, and I've, I mean, and I've done CPR hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. Uh, uh, now he is he is he is twenty four. So obviously his cardiovascular system is superior or should be to most because he's an athlete. So it's all possible. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's disappeared. No one's talking about it. There are no, I mean, there's a lot of doctors giving their opinion, but the doctors treating him have not come out and said anything. And the fact that he's being kept in a medically induced coma does not make sense to what they're saying happened. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. Interesting. Well, I hope they. I so, hope uh, that we keep talking about this and we figure it out because they're back to pushing vaccines again, and we have a new variant coming. And um, you know, there there just seems to be so much data finally coming out, and yet it's still being ignored. Well, what's funny is on Fox News yesterday, on one of the evening shows, uh, they had the former coach Lou Holtz on, and uh, they asked him about that, and believe it or not, now Lou Holtz is probably well into his 80s, uh, he brought up the fact, he said, listen, he says there's over 1,500 athletes that have been affected by this vaccine that have died or been seriously injured, and Boy, did they cut him off right away. Yeah, even Fox. I mean, Fox has, I think, promoted the vaccine far more than they ever should have and and continue sometimes today. And um, several of their medical correspondents are are more pro-vax than... Yeah. Well, they're, they're they're hypocrites because their medical people that come onto that show said the vaccine is safe you're fine and now all of a sudden now they're kind of switching gears that's all they had to do is say listen we don't know what it is right but exactly and uh and they're hypocrites they all are hypocrites and they look at people just go back a year and, and go look at what they were saying a year ago oh the vaccine's safe oh i took it oh, i took the booster i doubt that they did I really doubt that they did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tim, great stuff. Appreciate the uh, the commentary there. Makes sense. Let's go to Alabama. Mark, welcome to the program. Okay, good morning, Kevin. Happy New Year. Uh, this is uh, Mark, uh, Paul's friend, uh, car hauler. Uh, yeah. So that guy called a minute ago about drinking. So in twenty in January twenty two, I woke up one morning and I'm like, That's it, I'm done and I just quit. And I went with a friend of mine's son to a couple AA meetings, but it's like that just kinda went away. But I just I like I quit. And and I'm a person that grew up in Louisiana, I mean, been drinking all my life. And 
doing the 85 Jimmy Buffett shows, the tailgates, this, that, and the other. And I went to a crawfish boil, and I went on a binge for a couple of days. And finally, I just got up. I said, you know, this shit sucks. I'm yes. tired of this. I'm done. And I, and I haven't drank since then. And, and the funny thing about it is he was talking about all this awkwardness. And it's extremely awkward because when you quit, everybody else around you, you know, they drink. And you're going to lose friends. I don't care. You just do because they, they'll, they, they, that's what they do. But right. So you, the awkwardness is like, I was like, okay, I made it 30 days. And after 90 days, I made a Facebook post. I said, I haven't drank in 90 days. And people are like, what? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and they're like, oh, well, won't you have a drink sometime? And I said, right now, I'm not drinking. I'm not going to say, and I'll still say it again. I'm not going to say I'll never drink again. But I'm just not drinking. Right. And everything got better. I yeah. mean, everything got better. Sleep got better. Uh, you get up Monday morning, you're ready to go to work. It's like, it's, it's not any of this. Wait till, you know, a hangover goes oh, go away or whatever. You go to work, you become more productive, and you make more money. Yep. Uh, you have a better attitude. You feel better about things. You obviously save a lot of money. And it's just, you, you can't worry about what other people think and I mean, all I can tell this guy here, I hope he's still listening, is just keep one day at a time, and then sooner or later you'll forget how many days it is. And it's like you'll feel better, and then people will try. People will come up to you and say, well, you need to have a drink. And you're like, no. And, and they'll feel awkward. You, you just got to be strong about it. And because I had a guy, a friend of mine text me. He goes, you didn't quit drinking for real. I said, well, I'm not drinking right now. And I said, I said it's not fun anymore. And uh, all I can tell that guy is just keep at it and, and don't worry about what people say. And you're going to lose friends. The hell with them. You don't need them anyway. So, uh, and things will get better and your productivity will get better. And there are other things to do, like go climb mountains or whatever. You'll find other hobbies and things that interest you. Yeah. You just don't have yeah. to, you just don't have to have a life built around drinking. And, 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 and I would encourage him to go listen to, I believe it's Andrew Huberman. He's got a podcast. He's got some YouTubes. And he actually talks about, he's from Stanford, and he's a professor, and he actually talks about how really disruptive alcohol is. I mean, it's really, really bad for you. If you're interested in total <laughs> it health, it can't, it can't include alcohol. It, it just can't. And, and people, you know, because you, you look on these keto forums and all like on Facebook, and people will come on there and they're like, oh, can I drink vodka? And I was like, one of them at one point. I was like, oh, well, vodka's keto or whatever. But then it comes to a point where if you really want, and Dr. Barry's even said this, if you want really total health, you can't drink. So, yeah, I, I, you know, you can have a drink here and there or whatever, but pretty much that's it. So, yeah, you know, we, we've um, we, when you look at our society, we surround holidays and all kinds of events with alcohol. It's a part of everything we do. Oh, it is. Then, then they came out and told us, oh, but in moderation, it's actually good for you. Two drinks a day for males, one for females. It's actually healthy. And it's all bullshit. It's absolutely not it true. There is not one thing about alcohol that adds to your health. And it's shocking to me how destructive it is to your health. And, and now I can see that. But again, I'm not going to say I'm never going to drink again. But every year I drink less. Yeah, and less. I'm like that. I mean, I, I haven't drank since then, and I'll I'll probably go back to Paris later this year. Maybe I'll have a glass of wine or two. But probably I won't. But yeah. it's like, I, 
it just, I'm not doing it now. And I, you know, quite frankly, I don't miss it. <laughs> I don't could. miss it at all. Yep. Uh, it, it just, you know, and, and your body is like, becomes like, it takes more and more and more to get the effect. This right. is like, you become resistant to alcohol, just like you become resistant to insulin or drugs or whatever. Yep. It takes more and more and more until so much will just kill you. And it's like, the best thing to do is just drop it and walk away. And yeah. some people can't do it because of social pressures, and some people aren't strong enough mentally to do it because they they succumb to uh, peer pressure. And so peer pressure is great. I mean, we all have experienced it. Uh, but you just gotta you gotta have a firm mind and decide what you want out of life and and, and how you want to feel. And like I said, my income's like more than double because yeah, there you I, mean, go. I get up Monday morning, I'm ready to go to work. I used to hate Mondays. I mean, I looked at a Facebook post the other day from from twenty. 2012, and it was like Monday, blah. And now it's like not anymore. I mean, I was up at Adam Monday morning, the second of January, and I think well, it really wasn't going to work. And they call me and they say, "Hey, you want to go to Decatur, Alabama?" I don't, I don't say no because I'm scared if I say no, they won't call me again. So, Excellent. you know, I'm out working. So, uh, you know, the more you work, you don't have to worry about that. So, if you focus on the things you can control, and you said this, focus on what you can control. Don't worry about what you can't control, and you can control the fact that you don't drink. There I mean, go. and if some people want to drink, knock yourself out. It's legal, whatever. But, you know, it's your health. Do what you want. Do what you want. But, you know, it, it's not good for you. And it's uh, and it, it makes you feel like shit. <laughs> and the, and the, the more you drink, the worse you the, I mean, it. you know, it. and some people can have a beer and walk away. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, beer is like liquid bread. It doesn't completely destroy your, you know, your blood sugar levels and all that. So. I don't know. I mean, I just, if that guy's listening, just go for one month and then evaluate. You don't have to tell anybody, but one day you will. And then people will be like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And, and then the, and you'll feel a lot better and, and, and they'll look up to you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there is more of a trend now. There's, um, oh, the dry months and challenges and people are talking more about cutting back on drinking and, you know, it, it, it seems, Lauren, like we, we've always approached this as, you know, there are people who are problem drinkers. It Clearly, when they drink, it causes problems in their life. And we've always kind of said, well, those people should quit. Then there are the people that can drink myself every day and not really have it affect my life in obvious ways. So we, we always said, oh, no, if you can drink, then that's good. And, you know, there are these health benefits as long as you don't overdo it. And, and that's just not true. I mean, if you decide to do a continuous glucose monitor, one of the tests I want you to do is I want you to drink once and watch what happens. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine because I know what it's like how I feel after drinking and it is not a great thing. Yeah, it's it's the craziest pattern. Nothing affects blood sugar more in in you know so many different ways than alcohol. And and the the it lasts for depending on how much you drank, uh, you know, twenty four to forty eight hours, your blood sugar will be messed up. Agreed. Yeah, crazy. All right, let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to Ohio. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, Lauren. Hey, I have a question. Uh, why or what am I missing that 
all of a sudden my nose will just run and it's every day. And my mom who is 91 has the same problem and they, she's in a retirement center. So the doctor's there, uh, they got her on something and she's like, yeah, my nose don't run anymore. And I'm like, so what am I missing? She, they is it when you eat? It's, it's, I could just be standing there and all of a sudden my wife will go, your nose, and I'll pull out a hanky and, you know, it's like, it's like it's, my nose is going to drip. And it's just, Sounds like shifting. It, seems, it seems like always. And I don't know that I have allergies because I don't want to go, go through all that. My wife did. Mm-hmm. Now she's a wreck because of it, but so you I'm said wondering this, if, there's, if I'm missing something. Well, you said this just started. When? No, no, no. It's been going on for a while now. In well, fact, it seems like when I converted and started eating right and doing all the right things, it seemed like, and I made a joke of it to a friend of mine when we sit there and we'll cook a nice steak and, and mushrooms and everything on the grill. And I'm like, yeah, if, when you're eating, if your nose don't run, it's not a good meal. So it is when you're eating. Is that typically when it happens? Oh, it does. It happens when I eat. It happens. I can be driving down the road and just all of a sudden my nose will, you know, I can tell it and my nose will run. So Mm. need a Kleenex franchise. So there's a couple approaches we can take here. One, we could do, I'm, I'm with you. I would not go do any kind of traditional allergy testing. I would consider a food allergy test. We have the, uh, the fit test in the store there may be a food, especially since this started when you changed your diet. So it's possible that one of the foods you added to your diet is part of this. Uh, Lauren mentioned histamines. Meat is very high in histamines. The older meat gets, the more histamines it gets. Bone broth, because we cook it a long time, develops a lot of histamines. Bone broth is healthy for us. But if we're overly sensitive to histamines, that may be um, part of the problem. The other thing, a couple things I would try. Um, One, we have a a product in the store, a supplement called Histoplex. And it's a group of nutrients that helps your body deal with histamine levels. So if it is a histamine issue, the Histoplex should probably take care of it. Is that really addressing the root cause? Uh, Maybe not. I'm not sure. The other thing um, that can help with this, if it is some sort of an allergy, is local raw honey. Yeah, agreed. Um, In terms of of histamine, Kevin's absolutely right. Meat, um, leftover foods, because any kind of food, when it's leftover, will start... Um, it, you know, you'll have a, a more of a histamine reaction than there's also fermented foods are also one of those things that, that really can cause a histamine you know, reaction, but it could be, if it is histamine, it could be mast cell activation disorder. So sometimes we can have like a, like a mutation, um, DAO is an enzyme that breaks down histamine. Some people are deficient in that. That's something, I mean, if it's something that's bothering you and you really need to get to the, to the bottom of it, then you could start, you know, really looking into these things. But if it's just a nose watering thing, 
I don't really know that I would worry about it being histamine, but you know, you could try the histoplex from the store and see if that, you know, helps. Have you taken a Nutri-Q? Those, those are just a few things. Dan? Did we lose Dan? Looks like he's still there. I don't know. No, you're, I'm here. I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. Okay. I'm here. Um, have you yeah. taken a Nutri-Q? No, I have not. I, I would take a Nutri-Q. And what we're going to be looking for is a, anything with the immune system. Because that's what this is an immune system reaction of some sort, whether it's reacting to histamines or other environmental toxins or allergens. Um, so we could address the symptoms with things like histoplex or maybe some local raw honey. But we also want to go in and see, is there some sort of a foundation problem here with the immune system? Okay. Hey, could I ask one more question? Sure. My wife called me last night. She has a friend, and she said she's trying to do help or whatever, and I don't know where she's getting her information. I don't know anything about it. But she, the colloidal silver, she's mm -hmm. having digestive problems, and she wanted to know if she should take that. I no. said, I don't think so. No. so I don't think that's got anything to do with digestion. Uh, not really. There, there's so colloidal silver um, is a metal, obviously a, a heavy metal. Um, we do have silver right. in our body in very small amounts. Silver is a very powerful fungicide. Um, silver can kill a lot of stuff, bacteria and funguses and uh, it's pretty powerful, but it's not something I would play around with. I certainly wouldn't do it with digestion. It's really one of the supplements I don't recommend taking unless you're working with a practitioner that uses it. I, I, we don't really use uh, silver. I, I am going to do a little more research on it. Um, I learned a lot from Dr. Wolfson about um, copper and using copper. Yep. It, it, so it's not to say that I would never use those things, but it's a pretty rare case and I wouldn't recommend using them on your on your own. And I wouldn't ever look at either one of those for digestive issues. In fact, they are likely to actually cause the digestive issues to get worse because they're going to be really hard on gut bacteria. That's what I, uh, I said. Don't use that. There's a kit. I can get you a kit for gut health if you change your diet. And you're willing to do all that. Yes. So, and I just told that to the wife and she told it to her and I haven't heard any word back, but uh, I just was curious. I thought I was steering her just, in the right direction. by saying no. Yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely. And I would just encourage her just say, you know, you know, people that help a lot of individuals with digestive issues and we'd be happy to help her. But, you know, yep. that starts with the Nutri-Q and a discovery call, obviously. Okay. Well, I'll get on there myself and get that taken care of and get it sent out to you, and we'll go from there. Excellent. Looking right. forward to it. Thanks for the call. All right, Lauren, that's uh, that's the last call today. Oh, we've got one coming in, so we'll, uh, we'll hang out a minute here. Anything else that uh, comes to mind you want to talk about today? 
Not off the top of my head. I do have a question. Are you? Do you have any New Year's resolutions going on? Do you what, ever do that? What are those? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't. You know. I don't. No. I, I, you know, and, I never do either. Yeah, I've said for years I, I wouldn't do New Year's resolutions. In fact, what I tell people is if there's ever a time, and it usually doesn't happen until like October or November, but if there's ever a time where you're thinking about a New Year's resolution, why not just do it right now? Completely agree. I think so many people like stress out about giving something up as a New Year's resolution. I know one of my friends, he goes through the alphabet. I really like what he does. He chooses, he wants to learn something new every year. So his new year's resolution is at some point in throughout the year, he goes through the alphabet. And if it's B, he learned how to brew his own beer one time, <laughs> you know, like things of that nature where he was just educating himself on, on a new thing, which I thought was pretty cool. That is. You know, that one, I like the way he approached that. Now, normally when we think of um, New Year's resolutions, we think of things that are really important that we should be doing and we're not. You know, like health is always a big mm -hmm. one, losing weight or getting healthier or money, you know, getting our budget under control. And when I think about those things, if you... They are important, so why would you put them off and only start them at a certain time of the year? And then if that's the only reason you're doing it because you're supposed to, that's why most people fail. But the the approach he took, mm -hmm. this is almost like going above and beyond. You know, this this is like a cool thing that he does, and he's kind of made it a tradition, and he knows. When, I, I like the approach he's taken with that. As do I. I thought it was pretty clever. And I also like the idea of not having to start something on the 1st of January and stick with it through, you know, the end of December. I just, I just don't think that's, that's very um, realistic for a lot of people. It, it's Maybe not. it's just something that, you know, you want to get done and, you know, just be realistic about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right, let's, uh, we've got another call. Let's go to North Carolina. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin and Lauren. I'll uh, ask a quick question. I'm in a bad cell area, so I probably won't hold the call anyway. I think it's time to go back to basics for some of us little people. What in the hell is a histamine? Explain ah, what it is, good please. Good point. So uh, a histamine is a... Uh, it's a chemical that our immune system makes and think about it like a bouncer. So, you know, when you're at the club, sometimes people get into the club that cause problems and, you know, the bouncer's there to get rid of them. That's really what histamines do in our, in our body. There are allergens in our environment, things that will trigger our immune system and the histamines are designed to get rid of them. When histamines are out patrolling, they find allergens in the body, um, they get rid of them. So that's a good thing, but then we get the side effects of getting rid of them. The runny nose, that, that's one of the ways our body is trying to get 
the allergen out by kind of flooding our nose and washing them out, coughing or sneezing. It, it's our body's approach and, and histamines create the sneeze or the reaction. So the histamine is, is a chemical produced by our immune system and it's designed to take allergens out of our body. Does that make sense? It does. So then, like the histoplex is just simply eliminating histamines because there are too many of them? The histoplex doesn't necessarily get rid of histamines. And we don't want to get rid of histamines. There's a purpose for them. So again, when we use antihistamines we're covering up the root cause of the problem. We're not really addressing the root cause of the problem. We're just covering up the histamine reaction. Whereas histoplex, those are nutrients that actually strengthen our body's immune response to this, but tamp down the negative side effects of it. So we're, we're actually addressing the root cause with something like histoplex, whereas with an antihistamine, we're only addressing the symptom. Okay. Well, histamine is an immune response. So our immune system will release it to get rid of invaders in the body. And then, um, but sometimes we have too much of it released and, you know, obviously, like Kevin said, everything with a balance, as we go back to this always, is this is, is, to the body is balance. It's always about balance. So you can you want histamine to be released if there's an issue to get rid of something. But then if it doesn't stop, then it can become a nuisance and a problem. So some people have an issue with breaking down histamine appropriately in the body, so they can't get rid of it. So it gets, you know, there, there's too much release and they can't deal with that. So from my understanding, histoplex is a mixture of different herbs and extracts. And I think it helps just to support the immune system, right, Kevin? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It gives us a healthier immune response. A lot of times our immune response gets out of whack and we end up with more of the negative effects than the positive. Okay. Yeah. Well, that explains it. I just appreciate you going back to the basics. I just kept talking about them, and you've talked about them in the past, and I've never gotten a full explanation. Well, there you go. Good question. Thanks for the call. Um, I, that whole yeah, concept. Kevin, that was a good of, explanation. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That was just a really good explanation of what of what histamine is. I was I was very impressed. <laughs> you know, we. I, I'm glad. I'm glad we, you know, we used that phrase back to the basics and our listeners, you know, he, Jerry jumped in and said, hey, you keep saying this word, what the hell does it mean? Uh, I, I'm glad when, when we do that, I think it really helps people understand that this stuff can be complicated, but there are also some pretty simple explanations as to what's going on. Yeah, that's true. Great. Good stuff. All right. Well, we are going to wrap this up for today. Uh, tomorrow, I think I've got Travis on tomorrow for another tax show. I think we're going to do a another part of the miniseries on taxes. So that'll be a great show. The last one was really good. Uh, Friday, 
Yeah, Travis, we have tomorrow. Um, we'll find out from John and Joel. We will do some sort of a show on Friday. So, uh, oh, David Counts from Fleet Air Filters. Um, we've had David join us before on the Power Hour. Um, I thought I would have David join us on Friday um, just because we David's into a lot of that high-performance kind of stuff. We talk about some of those things on Friday. So, Thought it'd be interesting to get David with us on a on a Friday. So a uh, lot going on this week. Travis tomorrow for a tax show. David Counts from Fleet Air Filter on Friday. Uh, so we will see you then. Lauren, as always, thanks. And uh, let everybody know about your live event later today before we wrap this up. Yeah, so we'll be doing a Facebook Live today at 3 p.m. Eastern time where we're going to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions, as we had some questions come in about skin issues like eczema, as well as um, the microbiome. So join us at that time at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Got it. So that's um, about it, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, Angie just sent me a a cool saying I like. You can use this one today. Um, Set intentions, not resolutions. I like that. I love that. Yeah. Love that. That's really good. All right. We will see you tomorrow. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. As always, be safe, be responsible, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.